Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's September 14th, 1814, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. It was on this day that during the War of 1812, the American lawyer and amateur poet Francis Scott Key witnessed a bombardment by the British Navy of the US's Fort McHenry, which was this coastal fortification on what was then known as Whetstone Point in Maryland, that's now a neighbourhood of Baltimore. Anyway, Key found himself so inspired by the sight the next morning of this lone US flag that was still flying over the fort at daybreak after it had been through this really hideous, sustained salt for 25 hours, that he penned a poem, or at least the first lines of a poem, which initially didn't have a title, but came to be known as the defence of Fort McHenry, and later, more significantly, found worldwide fame as the lyrics for the US national anthem. Yes, and can we just immediately apologise, therefore, to all Americans listening, partly (laughs) because we know you're a bit (laughs) sensitive about your flag and your song and stuff, you're not a big fan of humour about that, and secondly, because... (laughs) Most of what we're about to tell you, I'm sure, you will learn at school. But you have to understand, this is marginalia to the rest of the world. Like, I didn't know that the Star Spangled (laughs) Banner was based on a, a war poem. And it makes sense, really, that it started life as a poem because it explains the fact that the words to the US National Anthem are quite complicated and notoriously quite difficult to remember, hence why there are so many viral YouTube videos (laughs) of various singers and celebrities just forgetting them. You know, there's so many where they just sing the wrong words or they have to start over again. And that wouldn't really happen with God Save the Queen, because even if you go a little bit off, you can sort of come back in quite quickly on the Saving the Queen. (laughs) And there's only like 10 words in total. (laughs) Well, of course, God Save the Queen, obviously it wasn't called that. Uh, But the same tune, My Country Tis of Thee, was the standby US national anthem. Until 1931, when the Star Spangled Mm. Banner became it. I had no idea it was so recent. Key never lived to see his words become that anthem. And also, he wasn't a very successful poet in his time. So he really, I'm sure he would have been totally chuffed to see what happened to his lyrics eventually. I mean, the other fascinating side of the uh, the anthem itself is that what it was wedded with, and in fact, what people assume that um, Key had in his brain when he was composing the lyrics was this old English drinking tune, <laughs> which is a wonderful sort of detail in itself. It was called To Anacreon in Heaven. Uh, and that was by comp- composer John Stafford Smith. It's definitely what he had in mind because he'd actually previously used that tune for a song that he'd written the lyrics to 10 years prior when he was uh, writing a poem <laughs> serenading officers having a banquet that had returned from the Tripoli Wars. <laughs> so he knew what he was doing. Like he was like, this is a great tune. I need to bring this to the people of Maryland. <laughs> uh, he just hit upon the best lyrics here. Did you know that the setting of new lyrics to a familiar tune is called a contrafactum? I did not. To Anacreon in Heaven had already become a very popular contrafactum subject. In fact, several other patriotic US songs had already been published to that tune. So it would have been familiar by the time that Key put out his poem. Which is deeply ironic because the defence of Fort McHenry was against the British. Mm. The British had already just tried to set fire to the White House 
Then they turned up in Baltimore, and the whole point of trying to destroy this military fort was to show their might in the sea. The symbolic significance of watching the flag survive, mm. as he says in the poem, you know, the rockets and the bombs. This was supposed to be very stirring stuff, and actually from his vantage point in the sea, when he wrote the poem, he wouldn't have known whether the Brits had won or the Americans had won. Mm. He just knew the flag was there, and that was like how potent the symbol... And so then to marry that with an English drinking song. <laughs> like, I mean, this is like aristocrats used to sing this song. This Anacreon club they were members of was all about celebrating music and food and drink, basically getting pissed and like, you know, oh, Venus, oh, Bacchus. I mean, that's what he married it with. It's hilarious. Sorry, Americans, not hilarious. I know you don't like people making fun of it, but it is a bit funny. Are those st the stirring lyrics that Key put to the music are definitely an improvement on the anthem? It's the most tedious. I had a look at it and it's like proper, you know, a bunch of old public school boys being oh like, oh, God, look, so here's some allusions so. to yeah. classic mythology. And like, oh, God, stop. And it's got six verses. But <laughs> crucially, it was written, the way it was performed by the Anacreontic Society was that it was designed for a singer to sing the verses and for the members to join in just for the refrain because it's notoriously very difficult to sing and has a wide vocal range. Unfortunately, oh, that tradition does not seem to have carried to the US, which is why you hear so many people, you know, struggling their way through it. <laughs> I think, you know, people like Roseanne Barr obviously gave a, you know, extremely infamously poor rendition. But even people like Christina Aguilera struggled. She struggled more on An the lyrics. An artist not known for her limited vocal range. No. Well, exactly. But there are plenty of accomplished singers who have completely failed to sing it. Because I guess when you're singing it in a packed baseball stadium, it's not like the acoustics are giving you any help. I definitely think it's the most difficult national anthem I can think of to sing. I think part of the reason that maybe we haven't heard of Francis Scott Key, though, is there is a bit of embarrassment about some of his politics. Uh, he was from a plantation-owning family. He was a slave owner, you know, and then he wrote this lyric, the land of the free. I mean, he really meant the land of free white people. Mm. And actually, a lot of what we'd now call African-Americans, but then were enslaved Africans, would have actually been trying to flee to the British ships uh, because the Brits would grant them refuge out of servitude. Yeah. So that's a complex thing, isn't it, to then say this is our national anthem? Yeah. I mean, it's also interesting why he was witnessing this bombardment from the sea at all, given that he was an American and it was the British who were out there who were doing the attacking. He'd actually gone to the aid of one of his friends, a guy called Dr. William Beans, who'd been taken prisoner by the British. And because he was a lawyer, he'd gone over there to try to secure his release. And they said, yes, you can have him back, but first you have to watch this bombardment. And then they pummeled the shore for 25 hours. But interestingly, actually, even though the, the lyrics kind of um, make it sound as though the fort was really brutally decimated. It actually wasn't very well struck at all. Apparently, at the time, the um, the cannons that the British were using were really, like, ferociously inaccurate. And I think that the US soldiers only took four casualties or so. But that's not something that you'd commemorate in the anthem, is it? You know, <laughs> ferociously inaccurate cannonballs, they failed. You know, it's all about the strength of America. It's not supposed to be. You might want to say how, how rubbish the British were, particularly if it was set to a bawdy drinking song. <laughs> and it's strange, really, that what we would consider, again, apologies to America, who may not consider it a minor war, but the relatively minor war of 1812, not only did it give birth to the national anthem of the United States, it also gave birth to a Billboard Top 100 number one hit in Whoa, 1959. The, the Battle of New Orleans, as sung by Johnny Horton, 
It went to number uh-huh. one in 1959. Wow. Hmm. Can you sing us about Neil? Yeah, it, it starts. In 1814, we took a little trip along with John and Patnam down the mighty Mississippi. Um, it's a Lonnie, Lonnie Donegan okay. covered it. That's where I know it from. Okay. Hmm. It sounds jolly. Yeah, it's much jollier than the National Anthem. And do you know what? You can sing it, no problem. (laughs) Useful. I'm going to confess that until literally today, so until the age of 40, quite possibly the majority of my life when I die, (laughs) I thought that the lyrics to the US National Anthem begin, Oh Saint, Can You See? Oh, wow. I did not know it was Oh Oh, Say, Can You See? My whole life when I've been parodying it, I've done Oh Saint, Can You See? You thought it was some sort of Christian thing. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, they're <laughs> quite a God-fearing nation, True. aren't they? And, you know, the, the, there's that whole One Nation Under God bit, isn't it, which is in their allegiance <laughs> statement, mm. which often gets read at the same time as the National Anthem. Yeah, so I've yeah. kind of conflated it as, oh, saint, can you see? But it's not. It's, oh, say, can you see? Which is quite colloquial, actually, as a way to... It's kind of like starting a National Anthem with, hey, look at this. <laughs> Do you think that actually it began, can you see? And he was like, oh, it doesn't scan, need a couple of extra syllables in <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> Well, you're not the only one who's confused about the lyrics to Star Spangled Banner. Um, back in 2019, Donald Trump made a... Oh, great to be in a club with him. <laughs> yes, you and Trump together again. Um, <laughs> he... To be fair, it's probably incumbent on the president of the USA to get the lyrics right more than it is a podcaster from Britain. Yeah, you'd think that he would know a few things about America that he didn't seem to know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Here's how democracy works. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was giving an Independence Day speech and he... He paraphrased the lyrics of the National Anthem. He was actually talking about the American Revolution. So he was already bungling because obviously the Star Spangled Banner is not about the Revolutionary War. Oh, mm-hmm. Like people thinking Les Mis is about the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Classic. Bearing in mind he's talking about the 1770s, he quoted, Our army manned the air. It rammed the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort <laughs> McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. Close <laughs> enough. He got the McHenry bit. That's pretty good. <laughs> he knew it was about a flag. <laughs> Tomorrow. There are still yeah. stone elephants with swastikas carved on them at the gates of the company's HQ in Copenhagen. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.